Bienvenidos to my first Recap Tuesday, friends. Happy to be here and thank you for your great feedback on last week's episode. Thank you to those of you who reached out with your thoughts and thank you to those of you who shared the episode with your networks. If you haven't left a review for the protagonistas, please do so as that is super helpful. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash the protagonistas or you can add yourself to my email list on my website for updates on all things protagonistas and all things abuelitas. So anyway, I mentioned this last week, but my conversation with Morgan was certainly one of my favorites as it touched on so many things close to my heart. So I'll start with a few and I'll start from the beginning. So one of the main things that stood out to some of you, particularly Latine folks or mixed folks, was this idea of how the term, quote, person of color is framed around whiteness. When whiteness isn't the majority in certain spaces, as Morgan mentioned, you don't group yourself in the same ways. The white gaze isn't as intense, she says. And she gave the example of how her friend, who was a Chinese-American and grew up in Hawaii, uh, and she says that she didn't become a person of color until she moved to California. And that's because the conversations surrounding race, ethnicity, and even things like xenophobia and racism are different depending on our social location. I mentioned growing up in Miami and how I was part of the dominant culture. I never saw or understood myself as a person of color because everyone around me was what would be considered outside of Miami a person of color. It wasn't until I left and arrived in Louisiana that I became quote-unquote brown. And so Morgan and I wondered, do we need identity markers that embed us in the location we're at? Is there something incomplete about trying to create one term that can somehow transcend all 50 states and the regions that encompass them? Morgan argues that one way the term person of color falls short is that it doesn't unpack what that looks like against what our lived reality is because the joys and struggles of whatever our identity is will change and look different based on location and place. I think about this a lot when it comes to the quote Latino community. We are black, we are white, we are brown, we are Mexican, Cuban, Venezuelan, Puerto Rican, Nicaraguan, Peruvian, Dominican. We are from Paraguay, we are from Ecuador, we make up Central America, South America, the Caribbean. I mean, it's kind of impossible to encompass all of who we are into one term, Latino or Latinx. I talk about how even moving to LA as a Latina, I felt like an outsider a lot of the time because I'm not Mexican or I'm not Central American, I'm Caribbean. And I mention a bit about this in my book, the diversity of who we are, and I use the term ajiaco to describe Cuban Americans in particular. Ajiaco is a stew made with dozens of spices and flavors and roots and vegetables and herbs and meats. And for Cubanos, that represents who we are, right? We are indigenous and black and white. We are from Africa and Europe and even Chinese. And, and every part of the stew represents the region or people that contribute to the stew. I like to argue that the broader Latine community is similar to an ajiaco stew or a sancocho, if you will, or whatever stew might be more representative of your specific culture. We are all simmering on the stove together, each flavor necessary for the whole, although the hope and the goal is that one flavor not be elevated at the expense of another. I think this is why these conversations are so important as we work through our own identities. For me, it's the ways of being and knowing that weren't shaped by the dominant culture, right? That abuelita faith. I 
want to honor that within myself while also wrestling with my privileges like my skin color, my education, my documentation and economic statuses and the power that's associated with those things. Working through our own identity, holding well the multitudes within us is part of the journey toward justice. It's part of the simmering in the stew and assuring that certain flavors aren't more pronounced than others. This means constantly doing the inner and outer work in our communities to fight against biases and prejudices that dishonor, demean, and dehumanize the image of God in others. But being people that hold multitudes is hard in a world that rather fits you neatly into set categories. And this is essentially colonial. That's why race was constructed. We want race boxes and gender boxes and religion boxes that can be checked just right. Why? Well, because people in power can stay in power easier that way. But I think part of the decolonizing and indigenizing journey means that we have to disrupt the status quo, disrupt colonial ways of being and knowing by both centering blackness and leaning into nuance. Now, it is Black History Month, and one of my favorite black theologians and thinkers, Tamisha Tyler, speaks to this in an old episode of The Protagonistas. I thought I'd play a small clip of her episode that speaks a little bit to what we're getting at here. Um, so one of the things that you said is watch out for people who so easily fit you into their vision. They always have to trim you down to do so. They don't limit you to harm you. They limit you to make sense of you. And yes. I thought that was so good. So if you want to just expand a little bit on that, um, yeah, your thought process yeah. in writing that. and yeah, I have learned that there are always going to be people who think they know you, but will never really be able to hold what I call the depth of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there are ways in which we can say, oh, yeah, it's basically this. You ever get a concept, you're like, it's really just this. It's just mm-hmm. a different version of blah, 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 blah. Right. And in some ways it is, but in so many other ways it isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that people who are satisfied in oh, you're just another da-da-da-da-da. Are you remind me of that person that is da-da-da-da-da? And you so easily fit into a box for them. Um, The problem I have with that is that you don't have the opportunity to be more than Mm. or to be complex or to change or to evolve. Um, Because the moment you do so, you no longer fit, and then they have to create a whole new framework. and, And so... I think that the people who hold you with open hands, Mm. who see you for who you are, but know that there is always going to be more, um, give you more room to grow. And I think it's dangerous to hold people within a particular limitation because um, you want people to change, but then you want to regulate what that change is like. Mm -hmm. And change can never be regulated. And so you're automatically setting yourself up, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. for a failure or disappointment. Right. Um, and I don't think it, I haven't necessarily, I don't know necessarily what to do with those people, but to just understand that to a certain extent, they can't hold the depth of you. So you have to manage your expectations around them and around, um, what you tell them, how Mm -hmm. you present yourself to them, Mm -hmm. um, because they have a very different framework of who you are. Right. And only, you know, really like. Yeah. The depth of who you are. Right. And I feel like even that, in that sense, like you're always surprising yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with what you're, the yeah. depth of your own self, right? Yeah. Um, and actually, going along with that, you say, 
Oftentimes, it isn't others who limit us. We limit ourselves. Yes. We forsake our own imaginations and give into logic alone, cutting off an arm and a leg as a cost no one asked for. Yes. We conform to stereotypes we've concluded we've, we should fit into when we are actually meant to break those stereotypes. We are meant to be larger than them. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really, really, yeah. really good. Oh. So good. If you haven't listened to the full episode, I highly recommend to do so because it is full of such wonderful and incredible nuggets of wisdom. But something else that some of you pointed out I think speaks to the complexities and the multitudes we hold is this idea of Nepantla that I brought up in my conversation with Morgan. Many of us have learned about Nepantla from Gloria Saldúa. And as I mentioned, it's a, an indigenous word for an in-between state, un espacio entre medio. The Nepantla is a space of constant tension where there's transformation and healing. It's an uncomfortable space in many ways. In my own life, I understand Nepantla as my journeys of decolonizing and deconstructing and reconstructing. I see it as a sacred space of learning and growing and shifting and becoming. But I also understand this space as a space that I exist in as a Cuban-American woman who holds these multitudes Right? The Abuelita Theology and the Western Master of Divinity. The indigenous Taino colonized blood and the Spaniard colonizer blood. And I think about Abuelita Theology and Abuelita Theologians in the Bible and beyond exist in this complicated space too, where they both fight against and perpetuate systems of oppression due to their unique position in the world. Like the midwives who deceived and lied and, and liberated a nation. I think of Esther who won a beauty pageant and acquiesced to patriarchy but also liberated a nation. I think of Tamar who used her body as a weapon posing as a prostitute and sleeping with Judah in order to secure her future. And all these women were blessed by God. So hey, this Nepantla, this interstitial, this complicated space isn't an easy space to exist in because the world that we live in is complicated and it's really hard to entangle ourselves from these systems that we are working to fight against. Uh, One native theologian that I listened to said that if we knew how to combat white supremacy, we would have done it already. And since we haven't, we're all figuring it out as we go along. And so I sort of want to do this thing where I want to reclaim that middle space, right? Reclaim that Nepantla interstitial space that many of us feel of being ni de aquí, ni de allá, not from here nor from there, to a space where we're both from here and from there. We're de aquí y allá. This middle space where we disrupt and rebuild. That's, to me, a holy and sacred complicated, ever-shifting gray space where I think we can find the divine. I think that's where God's at. A God who cannot be neatly put into a box. A God who disrupts and rebuilds, who centers those who have been cast aside, and who seeks for the healing and liberation of all. May we be people like that. Thank you, friends. I'll chat with you next week. <laughs>